It is good to be here with you this morning. If you are a guest with us here today, we just simply say welcome. We are in an Easter season and we're three weeks out, but yet every weekend, I just believe God is doing something to prepare us, to get our hearts ready and to get our hearts right. And so I am so glad you are here today. If you have a Bible, we're actually going to be in the Old Testament passage called Psalm 23. And we have been unpacking this psalm in our series called Here With Us. And so again, I just want to welcome you here today at our Garrisonville campus. Give a special shout out to our courthouse campus over there. Hey, Pastor Andrew and all the people meeting over at Colonial Forge High School, we welcome you into this experience as well. And we know this is going to be a great opportunity for us as we continue to serve others. Today is an exciting Sunday. I'd challenge you to go out into our People Street and find out how you can join our ministry partners that are here today and how we can be more faithful in serving. And then today at 1 o'clock, don't miss this opportunity to come find out more about short-term mission trips, especially high school kids. Come on. I've got some trips that need to get filled today. Got a few more spots for our Indian Navajo Nation uh, trip. And then also uh, Impact Virginia, where we go out and serve our neighbors down in Culpeper. Don't miss that moment as well. Come find out information today so you can be ready to take a step if God leads you to do so. And so, 1 o'clock, right after the last service, up up in our chapel. Now, today as we go into the passage of Scripture, uh, Psalm 23, I know last week I got a little confessional. I know sometimes that always gets scary at church, and so if you're a guest with us here today, we welcome you here, but right now I'm a pastor of a church, but I'm going through my own valley, if you will, and, and I got real open last week talking about how right now, a few weeks ago, my, my older sister was murdered. And I'm walking through the grief of losing not just my sister, but now watching over my nieces and nephews and seeing as they move forward in the same grief valley that I'm in. And I want to try to do my best. But, but the problem is, is, is I know what I know and I believe what I believe to be true, but my feelings, come on, the feeling part is just not caught up yet. Matter of fact, feelings, man, oh, we're going to talk about that today. It can be deceiving. And, and right now, that's, that's the hard place. Even as I preach, usually I have a feeling every Sunday. Right now, I can't even gauge Sundays. I'm just thinking, God, I just got to be faithful to your word, and I'm going to let you speak to the hearts of people no matter how I feel. Can I just confess that today? And so that's where I'm at in my journey. Maybe you can relate at some level, but I just believe today God has a word for us. I do believe that. Are you ready for what God has to say to you? Well, here we go. Now, as we look at the passage today... Uh, We're going to look again at Psalm 23, and we're going to really focus our hearts on verse 4. But before I go there, let me ask you a question. I want you to go back into childhood if you're an adult, and I want you to think about, as a kid, that time in your life where you were scared to death, okay? Do you got the event? Do you got the moment in your head? For me, I was was 8 years old. And uh, our neighbors, it was in October time frame, they said, hey, we ought to all go as a neighborhood and go to the local haunted house. Now, I know I'm already pushing against some of y'all, thou shalt not haunted houses. I get that. I wasn't a Christian yet, okay? And so these neighbors said, we want to go to this haunted house. And so our local JCs every year would put on this annual haunted house. And usually what they would do is they would get like a, an open department store or a vacant department store. And they would make scenes in it that you would walk through and they would try to scare you all the way through. Now, at that time in my life, I had never, ever, ever been to a haunted house. Now, I did like to get scared every now and then, and, and I'm of that generation, just to tell them my age, I'm from the Friday the 13th generation, okay? Slasher kind of movies. Now, we weren't ever allowed to watch that movie at my house, but when I went to my dad's on the weekend, he had a VCR, and he had all these VHS tapes, and so over there with my sisters, we would watch these movies, and I was like watching these movies in the daytime because I was too scared to watch them at night. And I would literally have the blanket over me and I'd pull the blanket so close it'd be right up to my nose watching this movie of Jason at Camp Crystal Lake. You know what I'm talking about? And so that was my only memory of fear and scared. And so now tonight we rally all of our families and we're going to this haunted house. Now when we arrived on the scene at this haunted house, We literally had to wait outside for about an hour to get in there. 
Now, a lot of people were there. Everybody's kind of excited, and it's cold weather. It's October time frame. And, and the closer we get to the entrance, the scared, the more scared I become. And, and we were like just about 10 people back, and my heart is about to beat out of my chest. And all of a sudden, I'm realizing this is not a good idea. I don't want to do this. Now, my mom wasn't there. Uh, my dad wasn't there. My sisters were there. The neighbors were there. And we loaded up in this huge car conversion van, drove there. And the father that drove us there, there was this big burly guy named Mac. Now, we were like next to go in. And I'm like, and I ain't going in. And so I start to run away, and he grabs my hand, and he says, Todd, come back here, come back here. He says, we're going to go through. He goes, nobody's staying out here. You can't stay by yourself. I said, but I, I, I don't want to go in. I don't want to go in. Everybody's excited. I'm about to cry. You know what I'm talking about? And so he said, well, listen, you're going to go in with me, and I got you. I got you. And so what do I do? Man, I clung to this guy so tight. My face was literally imprinted in his rib cage, right? And he had his arm like this, and we started going through scene by scene by scene. You know, the first scene with the car goes, eh, at you, right? And all these things jumping out. And, man, I, I, I probably didn't look a whole lot because the whole time I'm just looking at Mac, holding him for all dear life. And then we came to this one scene where the werewolf's coming at us, right? And he starts jumping off, and he starts running towards us. And at that time, I loved what Mac did. He grabbed me like this. He pulled me just a little closer, and then he put his hand out as to say to that werewolf, you better back it up before I take you out, right? And then he pushed him off, and then we were two scenes away. Listen, we survived. We survived. We survived. <laughs> Have you ever been scared to death out of your life, and you're grateful for someone like Mac that helps walk you through Listen, today, as we go back to Psalm 23, this will make more sense in a minute, but this is where we've been during this Lenten season. In the church calendar, we call this Lent because we're preparing for the retelling of the story of Easter. So we've been reading, we have been studying, some of us have been memorizing Psalm 23. And so today, as we begin this, this message of here with us, I want us to go back to looking at the first six verses, the only six verses of Psalm 23. Now, where I've tripped some of you guys up is some of you have been Christians longer than a day, and, and you have the King James Version memorized in your head and try to memorize it with these new words. You're like, man, that's messing me up. But what we're doing is we're trying to claim the promises of God, and I believe the best way to prepare for Easter is to begin to put some of God's Word in our lives. Because we need to know what we know, we need to believe what we believe, regardless of what we feel. And that's the way we do it when we begin to put God's word, hide God's word in our heart so that we might what? Not sin against him. So here we go. Read this out loud. Both campuses, read this out loud with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you believe that today? Let's believe what we maybe don't feel yet. That's what we're pushing against today as we look at, I think, the hardest verse in the whole chapter, verse 4. Verse 4. Last week when we talked about making decisions, that decisions determine destination. And we looked at these words that the shepherd king David wrote in Psalms talking about this idea of leading sheep, the shepherd leading sheep. And as we look at this metaphor here, we realize that God's trying to say some things to our lives. But it's interesting when you begin to call people in our modern day time sheep. We don't like to see ourselves as sheep. But when we start to talk about the, the characteristics of the sheep, then you all of a sudden you can go, oh yeah, I can relate to that. So last week we said this, that sheep always seek what's safe, they always want to seek what's familiar. So what does that mean? They find a pathway that they like and they love, 
and they travel it again and again and again and again and again. So much so that that pathway ends up becoming a rut. A sheep doesn't even realize what it does to a field over time because it'll just keep eating and enjoying and eating and enjoying. And then at the same time, it's dropping its own waste all around this field that a sheep doesn't even know when it's sheeping itself. You know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden, it's beginning to die. It's beginning to hurt itself with parasites and bacteria. You see, a sheep needs a shepherd. Come on. It's got to lead them to a new path. It's got to lead them to a new pasture. Got to lead them to new quiet waters. We all need a shepherd. Well, just like sheep, we will find ourselves in a rut if we're not careful, if we're not trusting and following the shepherd. Now today, let me give you two more characteristics about sheep that can help us today. The first one is this. Sheep are prone to fear. This is why they want familiar. This is why they want the same path. They're prone to fear. They're afraid. And so to move a a, a herd of sheep to one place to the next, you got to move them, and they're afraid of what could happen as they begin to travel. Because when a sheep goes through a valley, what could be in that valley? Running water like a river could be in that valley. Rock slides could happen in that valley. Storms could roll in to that valley. Poisonous plants could, could fall upon them in that valley. Predators could come against them and attack them while they're in that valley. There's, there's a lot for a sheep to be afraid of. And so they live in fear. Listen, when you live in fear, you'll find yourself paralyzed at times. Can anybody relate to a sheep yet? Fear. Fear. You know another characteristic about a sheep? They're prone to wander. They're prone to wander off. So when they're all kind of traveling together, it's easy for a sheep to go squirrel and go chase over here, right? And before you know it, the sheep left the herd. And before you know it, the sheep can't find its way back. And so this idea of needing a shepherd because sheep in their nature are prone to fear and prone to wander. Come on, can anybody relate to a sheep? You see, when we begin to see it this way, this metaphor takes on a little bit more life for us as we talk about this today. Now, in this today, again, I confess that this verse, verse 4, is the most challenging verse that we're looking at, I think, in the chapter. Now, let me ask you this question. Remind me again, who wrote Psalm 23? David. Or somebody said God, right? Well, yeah, God. God wrote the Bible. You'd be right there. But David, David the shepherd, that's what his first job was until he later became a warrior and fought in the army. And then he later became the second king of Israel. He was a shepherd. So some people think, well, he wrote this passage probably sitting in a green pasture and sitting by quiet waters. Doesn't that make sense? That's when he wrote this beautiful poem, Psalm 23. He had had to be in a good place in his life when he wrote this, right? But you know what historians will tell us? Bible historians will tell us they don't think that's when David wrote this psalm. He didn't write this psalm on a good day. No, 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 no. David wrote this psalm on a hard time in his life. Because see, isn't that usually when we, can, when we can open up and reveal about what we're thinking and what we're feeling? It's when we're what? When we're going through something challenging. We believe that chronologically David wrote this psalm when his kingdom that he was in charge of was starting to fall. In your word, my word, your world, my world, David is losing his job as the king. So what he did professionally, how he's known, all of a sudden is now being questioned by everybody. You ever been there? Lose a job, lose identity, don't have a lot of confidence in yourself. This is where David was. And to make it worse, one of David's sons, Absalom, hates his dad. Some of y'all know this one too, don't you? Where your kid hates you. And his son Absalom is creating revolt and rebellion in the kingdom. You see, David's in a dark time in his life. His family's falling apart. His work's falling apart. His identity's falling apart. And where does, he, where does he say? He begins to give us Psalm 23 in a challenging of his life. Does that help anybody today to know that's where he was when he wrote these words? 
You see, sometimes we make the Bible a utopia. Well, that's good for then, but we live in the real world now. No, no, David lived in that same real world too. And guess what he tells us in verse 4? He said, this is what his world was like. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I want you just to stare at this verse for a second. If this is the one verse that I'm preaching today to you, what is right now God and the Holy Spirit preaching to you right now through this one verse? Maybe God's right now asking you the question, are you in a valley right now? Anybody in a dark valley right now? Anybody going through a time right now? Anybody going through a trial right now? Anybody going through things that they don't realize, how am I going to get through this? That might be your question today. Am I in a valley? If so, what is my valley? And then the follow-up question, which I think is beautiful if we look at this one verse. Am I feeling fear or am I feeling comfort right now? My valley, am I leaning into fear and so overtaken and so overwhelmed with the uncertainty? Or am I experiencing the comfort despite the valley? Where am I? Come on, does that not preach right now? I love how God's word just jumps out. We don't have to help it. It's there. It's there. It's there. And you know, when I look here at the pages of what we're going to look at today, I just wonder who can relate to what we're talking about this morning. Now, maybe the question to ask you today is, what is your valley? Maybe that's how it gets personal for you and for me. What is your valley? I already shared mine. We're we're mourning the loss of my sister. That's my valley. What is your valley? Right now, what heartache are you facing in your life? What is your experience? What is your sorrow? What is your failure? What is the loneliness that's crept in right now into your life? And where is the brokenness? Because that's what verse 4 is all about. It's speaking to it. It's saying, what have you lost? Somebody's sitting here today, and what you've lost is a loved one. But somebody's sitting here today, and what you lost is a job. What you lost is a marriage. What you lost was stability, security. Maybe a home. What you lost was maybe a dream. What you lost is real. And I'm not trying to make light of it today. But today, let's at least recognize the valley that you're traveling in. And I know how you're thinking. I know how you're feeling. You're like, I don't want to be in this valley. Guess what? None of us want to be in the valley. And for many of us, if we got real honest, we might be the reason we're in the valley. We might back up and see a few decisions that we made that actually led us to where we are now, the very place that we don't want to be in. But today, I'm not asking how you got to the valley. I'm asking, are you ready to get through the valley? Because that's what Easter could be this year, to lead us through, to lead us through. Is anybody hearing this today? Is this speaking to anybody this morning in in your life? This idea of Psalm 23, God wanting to lead us through because see my fear is that but some of us are going to get stuck I'll I'll be honest with you I'm afraid I'm going to get stuck I'm thinking golly God God how many how many weeks how many months do I have to feel the way I'm feeling I hate I I hate oh oh feelings oh 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 now listen, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta make a few jokes because if I don't, then I get too close and so I'm trying to talk myself out of tears today. Listen, feelings are those places that we want to always match up, but how do I walk with God? How do I cling to God? How do I lean into God's ribs when I don't feel like it? That's what we're talking about today. And some of you right now, your trial is real. And God says, I brought you here on purpose because I love you and I'm for you. And today I'm about to give some freedom to you. I'm about to give some hope to you if you're willing to go where I'm leading you to go. And so here's what might be helpful today. As we write down a few thoughts today, how to move forward. Here's the first thought I want to give you today so you don't get stuck 
oh wow, he already put it up there, but that's okay, leave it up there, Ben, leave it up there for a while. This idea of not getting stuck is that, that we often, when something happens to us or we find ourselves in a valley, our first human response is what? Why? Why am I here? Why is this happening? Why me, God? Why do I have to go through this? Why, why God? You with me? And whether you stay there for a few minutes, a few days, a few weeks, a few years, so many times we ask why and we wait. We ask why and we wait. We're waiting for some kind of answer. And I'm telling you, why is a fair question. It's a right question to ask. But, but if you stay with why, you'll get stuck with why. And God says, you want to move through this valley? Then let's move from why to what? To what now? All right, this is real. This is where I'm at. So what now? What now? What now do I do? What now do I respond? How do I now hold on to you, the shepherd God, and how do I get through what I'm facing right now that I'm facing? Listen, this idea of what now is an important position of mind and heart because it's an important shift that begins to put our focus on pressing towards the hope of what we're longing for, the hope of a better tomorrow, the hope and the healing that we're all desperately for. What now begins to point us in that way? Now listen, I'm not saying it's going to be quick. I'm not saying it's going to be quick. Listen, I don't know how long it's going to be for you. I don't know how long it's going to be for me. I just know what now is a better position of my heart and your heart if we're going to move forward. So what now? What now? And what you'll find out is this. This question leads us to the one, come on, who is greater than what we're facing. Do you believe that today? That he is greater? What now points us to that incredible truth. Jesus says this in John 10, which shows us that Jesus really is the perfect fulfillment of John 10. The perfect fulfillment of Psalm 23 as well. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, not the hired hand. The hired hand is not the shepherd, and he doesn't own the sheep. So when the hired hand sees danger coming, when the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Why? Because the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And the man runs away because he's just the hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And just as the father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Is that not powerful images? You know what that tells me? That, that we got a God that we can cling to, and we got a God that will cling to us. And we got a God to put his arm around us, and then he'll put his hand out to protect and to lead us away from danger. He's, he's with us. He's for us. And he wants us to see this in this passage. But we got to change our why to what now. Now, when we take a closer look at this verse, let's go back to the original verse again. Look at this again. This was powerful to me yesterday. Yesterday, I went to a lacrosse game down at Mary Washington University. Uh, one of our kids from North Stafford, one of our kids from Mount Ararat, Caleb Hunter, was playing down there. And he said, Pastor, come watch me play. So I went down there to watch him play. And when I was down there, there was another kid from our church I saw there. And I don't want to embarrass him, so I won't say his name. But, but he was down there, and he was supporting his brother, too. And he, he was wearing a tank top. And he's wearing a tank top. And he had this cool tattoo he'd just gotten not too long ago. But he had another tattoo on his chest. And I ain't trying to be all weird and pastor like that. But I was looking at his chest. And it was words, and I could only see part of the words. And so I just said, hey, will you pull your shirt down? I want to see your chest. Now, again, not great. I think I did that one time right here about cowboys. And listen, listen. But he pulled his shirt down. You know what he had on his chest? He had Psalm 23. And it was in the shape of a cross. It was written out in the shape of the cross. And I thought, I said, I said, dude, will you come tomorrow and show the whole church your chest? I said, dude, that's all in right there, man. I asked the church to memorize it, and you wrote it on your heart, literally, right? But, but when we look at this passage right here, I want you to see something right here, because when we look at it here, there's some words here that I want you to catch and pay attention to. 
In the NIV, when it writes it in a more contemporary language than old language like King James, it changed the phrase from, from to the darkest valley. Now, that, that's true. There's some part of that definition is true there. But when you get the real word, the Hebrew word, it's bigger than the darkest valley. You see, the darkest valley gives us the word called Salmaveth. Salmaveth. Say that with me. Isn't that cool? The word sal means deep shadows and darkness. But maveth means death. Come on. You know the King James Version. I'm walking through what? The valley of the shadow of death. Doesn't it have a little bit more description than the darkest valley? The shadow of, the death of, this, this dark place, this ominous place, this scary place. That's what the Bible's given to us. But then the Bible doesn't stop there. It says, while we're walking through this place, show that verse again, the main verse, main verse. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, it says, I will what? I will fear no evil. Why will I fear no evil? Because you're with me. And then, not only are you with me, you're providing what a shepherd needs. A, a shepherd needs a rod and a staff. A rod and a staff are the two tools at how a shepherd protects and leads the flock. Did you know this? Let me tell you the difference. The rod means, it means kind of a protection weapon. If a predator comes, if an animal comes and begins to attack, man, that shepherd gets that rod out and will swack and fight and fight off anything coming against the sheep. That rod means to protect. That rod means to defend. That rod is a symbol of power, a symbol of authority. The shepherd holds the rod to keep what? To keep the sheep safe. Is that not cool? Do you see that picture of God holding us with one arm and striking things down away from us with the next arm? Do you see that? That's what the writer wants us to see. See, the rod is to protect. The rod is to protect. But what's the staff for then? The staff is to correct. You see, the shepherd will have that crook. Come on, you've seen pictures, right? The crook, and on that shepherd's staff, it might use the butt of that staff to kind of poke or to prod. You ever heard that? To poke and to prod? That's a shepherd term. To poke and prod sheep to head in the right direction. To guide, to discipline. That's what the staff is used for against the sheep. To, to pull back. It has a hook on the end of it because sheep are prone to what? To wander, so if it wanders off, guess what it does? It'll throw that hook out there, and it'll pull that sheep back to the herd. Because that's what a good shepherd does to keep the herd together. I love it. Sheep are prone to fear, so he might have to go, come on, come on, come on. Sheep are prone to wander, he might have to say, come on back. And then at night when he lays down with the sheep, each of the sheep crawl underneath the hook the crook of the, the staff as he counts them one by one. You see, a good shepherd wants to make sure he didn't lose any sheep in the day. Isn't that cool? These metaphors we've always heard our whole life through the Bible, and God's trying to show us what it's like when we start to see God like that. You see, this idea of trusting and believing and walking with God, the shepherd doesn't spare anything, including his own life. He's got to be willing to lay it down to keep the sheep safe. No pains, no trouble, no time to keep his eye off of danger so that he can keep protecting. Number two, write this thought down. In the valley, in the valley, your feelings will be your greatest obstacle. Isn't that true? Some of y'all know this to be firsthand true, isn't it? Your feelings will become your greatest obstacle because what you feel, it's real, but what you feel might not be true. There's a difference. I think when we're going through a deep trauma, don't ignore the feelings, but don't let the feelings dictate everything that you do. If you do that, you might find yourself deceived. You might find yourself in dangerous places because feelings can become overwhelming if we're not careful. Come on, you know this. You know this. 
Last week, I told you I took this vulnerable step with our church, and I don't want to go there again today, but I tell you, as I did that last week, part of the madness with that going real is, is to do this. It's not to push you away from what I'm going through, but it's actually invite you in to say, if you're going through something like this too, we now have permission to talk about this. Sometimes that's what happens when I get transparent on certain Sundays is, is to give us permission to maybe go a place that's uncomfortable but maybe necessary to go. And I know right now I don't trust my feelings because I can be in one moment laughing and playing with my kids and talking with them and I can get another thought and before I know it I'm over here and by myself in tears. You ever been there where you feel like you can't control what's going to happen next and you hate that feeling because you can't control what's going to happen next? I'm thinking, God, how long is this going to be on this edge? How long am I going to be close to this edge? I don't like this. I don't want this. But God, how do I trust you? How do I trust in what is true to walk with you in the middle of what I feel? You see, what do you know? What do you believe? And what do you feel? I think those are important questions to always examine. Listen, if you go to any council, they're going to talk about the stages of grief. Maybe you've heard of this. The idea of the stages of grief is, first of all, something has happened to you that's caused this pain in your life. And if you move healthily through these, you can begin to work towards hope again. But oftentimes, whatever trauma has happened to us, it leads to this expressing emotion, this idea of aloneness, physically sick, panicked. And sometimes it's a cycle again and again and again, and it feels like, am I ever going to get free of this again? Am I ever going to get unstuck from this again? And it's a very scary feeling to think, how am I going to get through it? And we know that if we'll keep moving in their direction, we have to go through these, these phases. Loss and guilt, anger and resentment. And then we'll hit a point where we start to resist going forward and we'll want to go back again and relive it again. But if we'll keep walking in that direction, hope returns and we'll begin to see a new day with a new opportunity, a new reality. Can I tell you, humanly speaking, I don't know how I get through this, but I need God right there. I need to cling to God right now and to find that he's clinging to me. And I need him walking me through. Are you with me? I need him to be my shepherd. I need his rod and his staff. I need his comfort right now because I'm working through this and I don't know how long it's going to take to walk through it. But you know what? Some of you, you've been living here a long, long, long time. And today God wants you to begin to move through. He doesn't want you to get stuck in it any longer. But it's going to take you trusting. It's going to take you clinging. It's going to take you believing even when you don't feel it. Because your feelings, oh, your feelings will go high and low. Mine do right now. I find myself not being able to stop and control. Struggling with anxiety. Struggling with depression. And it's like it's in this valley. It's when we're fighting evil, right? These feelings say, you're all alone. These feelings say, your faith is broken. These feelings say, if you had faith, you wouldn't be feeling this way. You ever hear that? That's what happens when you're in this place. Let me give you a stat that's haunting. 2010, 253 million people received prescriptions that were written for antidepressants. 211 of those 253 happened right here in the U.S., I want you to think about our country and all the affluence, all the means, all the things that we have in our country and see how depressed we are really as a country. I think this is significant because what we know is this, when we get into the valley, things won't get us out of that valley. We need a shepherd. This is why we've got to be a church that preaches the good news of Jesus Christ because there are people that are looking to everything else to try to lead them through. Now listen to me, listen to me. This is a real reality. And guess what? This is a second medicine only to cholesterol. This is how epidemic it is. This means this is not something way out there. This is something right here with us in here. People are struggling with dark thoughts dark feelings and depression and I'm not saying medicine can't help I'm just saying can we at least see that 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 we are hurting and and maybe we need to look to the shepherd 
to see us through. Let me give you another stat about darkness. In 2013, somebody, someone committed suicide every 12.8 minutes. For every suicide, there were 100 more people that tried and didn't succeed. This is not a stat for somebody sitting in this room. Somebody's family in this room has been affected by this very thing. My brother-in-law came in and murdered my sister and then shot himself dead. I never thought that I was going to have this part of my family narrative. This is where we're walking right now, so this is real, even more real. And being in a community like ours that's filled with military, this next one, you guys know this full well, 22 veterans every day kill themselves. That's real trauma they experienced, and they came home with that trauma, and, and they got stuck in that valley, and, and, and they can't get through. They can't get through. To me, church, we got to continue to be a church that's willing to preach Psalm 23, but let's don't get stuck on verse 4. Verse 4 tells us that there is a shepherd that wants to be with us in the middle of our valley. You see, we could say God's greatest weapons is the rod and the staff. No, no, no. God's greatest weapon is his presence in our life. He is greater. He is greater. He is greater than what we're feeling. Come on. You need to believe that to be true. Now listen to me. If you are here today, I want you to listen to me real quickly. And you are struggling with darkness and you are contemplating suicide, I want you to hear something right now, and it's going to go against what you're feeling right now, and I want to tell you the truth. The Word of God says this to you, and I want to say it to you. You are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. You need to hear that. Now, you may feel alone, but you are not alone. God has told us that. You are not alone. He is here. The second thing I'd have to tell you to this is this, is that God is here and he wants to walk with you and he wants to walk you through this. And then one more thing I want you to hear today is this. Depression is not just spiritual. You may need to go to a doctor. You may need to go to a counselor. I'm just saying, don't let go of the good shepherd as you go to the doctor and as you go to the counselor. Hold on to him. He's holding on to you, and he can use godly men and women to help see you through. Don't miss this moment and walk out of here holding on to your valley and holding on to your darkness just because you're prone to fear. Let God be God in this moment with you. Here we go. Write this down. In the valley, God... In this valley, you are better to help others. In this valley, you are better to help others. Can I tell you, over these last three weeks, I've been, my, my, my heart has, has been so heavy, and I have struggled. But you know what's been beautiful to me is I'm a part of a family. I'm a part of a, a church like Mount Ararat where you guys just don't let go of me. I've gotten more cards that are pointing me what? Back to the word of God. You're pointing me, your pastor, back to this is what you can know to be true, pastor, whether you feel it or not. This is what you can believe to be true, pastor, whether you feel it or not. And your love and attention and your cards and the meals that you've given my family and I has been powerful in healing and bringing hope again and reminding us of the hope again in the midst of our, our dark valley right now. A few of you have bought me books, and I got three books from a, a family, and one of the books was A Parent's Guide to, to Raising Grieving Children. And I don't know why, but it was the book that I felt drawn to to start reading first, and, and mainly because I'm an uncle, and I've got two nieces and two nephews that I want to try to help my dad from afar, try to continue to move them and point them in the right direction and I want them to have Jesus in their life and, and to be able to see the healing that comes from him. And so this, this theme of a parent's guide to raising grieving children caught my attention. Right here in the front part of the book, it said that as you're leading kids through grief, some of you maybe are leading a child through grief right now, it said there's three things that are critical that a kid needs. Care, continuity, 
and connection. Now let me give you some description about these to help you. Maybe you're leading a child through this right now. The care part is giving love. It's giving attention. It's physical needs. It's hugs, right? It's emotionally being there for them. It's spiritually guiding them. This is what care is needed during an hour of such great grief and trauma. But continuity is important too. You know what you need to remind your child? That tomorrow's still going to happen. As hard as today is, the sun's going to come up tomorrow and we get another day. You need to reassure children that tomorrow's going to happen. Connection. Kids desperately during this time in their life need connection. You need to recognize what they're feeling. You need to recognize the morning. And you need to keep them alive. And you need to be present in their lives. Come on, doesn't that sound encouraging? I think we all need this, don't we? I need this. And as I read that, I thought how powerful it is. But can I tell you what made this even more powerful? You you know who sent me this book? I don't even know if she's here during this hour. Stephanie Stockham, beautiful family, that six months ago, she buried her husband in his 50s with brain cancer, and she's raising teenage kids right now. Do you see this? She's still walking through her valley, and what is she thinking about? Identifying with my valley. And she's given me some resources that have helped her. Why? Because when you're in the valley... You can begin to care for people in a way that you've never been able to care for people before because you can know what it feels like to walk in that valley. Now, here's what gets even cooler. You know, what, you, know how, you know how she got these books in her library? You know who sent her these books? Somebody else in our church named Sue Tuckweiler. Y'all might not know this, but Sue Tuckweiler, about three decades ago, lost her husband while she was raising her teenagers. Isn't that rich? That she had people come around her and walk with her and her family and kept pointing her back to what she could know to be true and what she could believe in even though she didn't feel it and she could keep trusting the good shepherd. And so she, all those years later, gives some books to encourage her friend, Stephanie. And Stephanie turns around and encourages her pastor. You see how that works? I don't know what you're walking through right now, but you know what? God's going to see you through it, and he's going to help use you to help someone else get through it too. That's the power of Psalm 23, verse 4. God continues to lead us. God continues to lead us through. I'm going to ask our worship team to come out, and I've actually threw Andy a curve this last week. I said, Andy, there's a, a song on my playlist that I can't get away from. It's called Greater. And this song just keeps ministering to me right now to remind me that God is greater, that God is greater, that God is greater. I don't know if it'll minister to you. I'm praying it will. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know your valley. But my my guess is that there's some people here today walking through some tough things. And right now, you're prone to fear. And right now, you're prone to wander. And today, I just want to challenge you To let what you're walking through lead you to Jesus. The fourth thing on this list today is this. In this valley, God wants to meet you. He's here. He's here with us. That's what the valley's all about. It's to meet with God. What if in the economy of God's reach today... Here at this campus and at Courthouse Campus and even online. What if today God's going to meet you in this valley and today's going to be a beginning relationship with him? I started thinking about that. I started thinking how many people maybe are already sitting among us that if it wasn't for that valley, you wouldn't be walking with Jesus. If you didn't go through that trial, you wouldn't be walking through Jesus. But because you went to that valley, it's it's where you met God. It's where you surrendered in faith to God. It's where you began a relationship with Jesus. It's in that valley. It's because of that valley. Is Is this speaking yet to anybody today? So maybe there's somebody brand new here today 
that God's going to meet you for the first time in the darkest time in your life, in your valley. Man, that's how much God loves you. It's powerful to think about God in that way. That he's not a God that's distant, but he's a God that wants to be right here with us. To put his arm around us, to protect, but also to keep us safe and to move us through. There's some images here I don't want us to lose sight of. It's just so powerful to think about God in this way. You see, some of you though today, it's time to return. It's time to return to God. It's time to get back right again with God. And I just ask you today in a loving way, what do you need from the good shepherd today? Do you need his rod or or do you need his staff? Do you need his protection today or do you need his correction today? What do you need from God today? Because he's a good shepherd. He's a good father. Oh no, he's a good God. And he's here today to meet with us. And he wants to meet with you. Will you meet God today in this valley? That's what this is all about. That's what Psalm 23 is all about. You know, when I think about this, it's this idea of coming to meet Jesus. Last week, I ended the message leading us to declare some choices that we're making. And I thought, you know, how do we end this message today? And last night, I actually called Pastor Andrew to come over to my house so we could talk through the passages and we could pray together. And, and as we were looking at the scriptures, we, I think he might even said, he said, Pastor, here's what I see. I see God reversing it this week on us, and he's the one making some declarations over us. And I thought, wow, it, that's it. God wants to declare some things over us, some things that we can know, some things that are true, no matter what we're feeling. And so today, that's what I want to end today's message with, is declaring God's word over your life and my life. So are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Here we go, here we go. In your valley, here we go. First one is this. God's declaring today, you are not alone. You're not alone. You know, in the Christmas story, we call Jesus Emmanuel. What does that name mean? God is with us. God is with us. Who believes that today? You know, at the end of his life, Jesus leaves physically. He says, I will be with you always to the ends of the ages, right? You're not alone. That's what God's declaring today. You're not alone. God is here. You know what God wants to do? God says, I want to what? I want to protect you. I want to lead you. I want, I want to guide you through what you're facing right now. You know what God declares today over you and to me and to us? He says this today. He says, I love you. Woo, is that not good? I love you. That's what God's telling you today. I love you. I love you. And Jesus says, I love you so much that I will lay my life down for you. I did that for you. Why did I lay down my life? So I could what? Conquer what? Sin, sickness, and death. I love you. That's what God says. I love you. I will see you through. Come on, that ought to do something to somebody's spirit this morning. This is what God's speaking out over us today. God says this today. He says, I am greater. I am greater than what you feel right now. I am greater than anything you're facing right now in your life. I am greater. I am greater. I am greater. Who believes that today? I am greater. That's what God's saying. He's trying to speak it over you. He's trying to speak it over you, even though you don't feel it yet. He's saying it. He's saying it. He's saying it. And somebody today needs to begin a relationship with him. Somebody today needs to return to a right relationship with him today. And he's saying that to us this morning. Oh, I love Psalm 23, verse 4. But it's not the last verse in this chapter. Come next week. We're going to sit at the table with him. We're going to take communion next week. I hope you'll come. But this week, this week is about a decision. Putting our trust in Jesus in the middle of our valley. We are saved by putting our faith 
in Jesus. I love that salvation is about confessing and believing, not about feeling. Isn't that good? It's about a decision. I heard somebody recently tell me, Pastor, uh, I, I said, are you a Christian? They said, oh, yeah, 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 Pastor, I'm a Christian. I've always been a Christian. I said, what? I said, you can't always be a Christian. You can always go to church. You know, parents drug you to church when a baby. You've been in church your whole life, but you can't always be a Christian. Being a Christian is making a decision to follow Christ. Have you done that? Have you done that? Friday night, my family and I were went down 610 and we went to one of those places to eat. And as we walked into the restaurant, we were going through the line to get our food. And, and this lady, this girl, this 17-year-old girl behind the counter said, are you the pastor of Mount Ararat? I said, yeah, I am. She said, can I talk to you before you leave today? I said, absolutely. So we went and got our food. We sat down, we ate. And before we left, I looked at her, I said, hey, we're about to leave. And she said, she came over and talked to me. She said, pastor, she says, um, I want to join your church. I want to be baptized. I thought, well, that's cool. And I said, tell me more. I said, uh, do you know Jesus? Because we baptize people, but they have to begin a relationship with Jesus. She said, well, as of recent, I am. She said, I've never been to your church before. I've been watching online the last several weeks. She says, I'm coming through some really dark things in my life, Pastor, and you've been speaking about those dark things. And she said, I gave my life to Jesus, and I want to be baptized. She's never attended here, and she wants us to baptize her. Is that not cool? So I, I, said, I said, well, tell me, tell me this. How did you even find out about Mount Ararat and find out about watching us online? She said, well, I've got a worker here that's my friend, and he started sharing Jesus with me. Isn't that cool? So she started watching, and then she started believing, and God is walking her through. Is that you today? Is that you today? God is greater. God is greater. We're about to sing this song, God is greater. Before we do, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the way you're speaking, and it's so personal. It's so personal to each person in this place, each person at courthouse, each person online. God, as you talk to us today, our feelings might be all over the map, but today, God, we need to know we need to know what is true. We need to believe in you today, God. Would you help our belief? Would you help us? Because God, some of us are in a tough place. Some of us are hurting and we need your hope again. We need your healing again. And God, you tell us in your word, we can find comfort in you. And that very word comfort that you give us invites us to repent invites us to give our lives to you, invites us to trust you so that we don't have to live in fear any longer. God, right now, would you lead us to trust Jesus and only Jesus to see us through. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you, God, for speaking. Now lead us in this final song, God, to declare you are greater. You are greater. In Jesus' name, amen.